Welcome to the Master Builders Podcast, the podcast where we discuss issues affecting the building industry. It's the podcast by Master Builders for Master Builders. I'm your host, Max Rafferty, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Robert Shaw. Welcome, Robert. Thanks, Max. Glad to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about zero energy homes. What does that mean to you? What it means to me and in, in our industry, it means different things to different people. And what I gather um, working inside the industry for the last sort of 40 years is zero energy. When you first hear that means a house that takes no energy to run, Um, that's zero energy. But we know it's much more complex than that and means different things to different people. So I think that's a topic that uh, inside our industry, we need to have a greater understanding of what that means and where we're heading with it. And do you think the industry has the skills if we're looking to build a house that where the shell itself performs in a particular way and then we're looking at adding technology to it so the the dwelling itself is net zero, does do we do we have the skills? Good question. My answer to that is yes, we do. And why I say yes, if you look at what's happened over the last, say, let's just take 50 years in the building construction industry, we adapt very well. It's a changing environment. So what happens is we're, we're changing all the time. So to add new products that actually work, we do have the skill set and the changing skill set and the technology. So we generally adapt well to that type of thing very well. Today, I'm going to speak with Josh Byrne from Curtin University, who's well known for the Josh's House project, where he created a video series that documented the construction of his own zero energy home. Josh is probably best known for his role as the West Australian presenter of the ABC's Gardening Australia. I also spoke with Simon Dunstan from SJD Homes. Simon's a leader in sustainable housing solutions and responsible for Melbourne's first zero energy home. But first to my interview with Josh. From gardener to TV show presenter, to zero energy home expert. How did you how did you how did you do all of this? Well, look, my public life has largely been around being a national TV presenter on a gardening show, and uh, I must say, gardening is my my main hobby and passion has been since I was a teenager. Uh, but for the last twenty years, I've actually been working in research and consulting in the area of uh, sustainable urban development. Uh, and um, this has been a long-standing interest in high-performance housing, uh, low-energy buildings. And really, probably five years ago, I took a particular deep dive into the concept of net zero energy homes. And, and that started with me building my own 10-star high-performance home uh, near Fremantle. Uh, and as part of that, uh, getting underway with a very detailed program of research work with the CRC for Low Carbon Living to unpack what are the barriers uh, to the greater uptake of high-performance housing. So the benefits that come with high-performance homes uh, can be accessed more widely. What exactly is a zero-energy home and why is it important? So the term zero-energy home, it's also uh, referred to at times as zero-energy buildings or ZEB. Uh, but a, a more accurate term is net zero energy homes. 
And what it means is that a home is designed and built to meet its own energy requirements on an annual net basis. So when you have a home and you understand what its energy demand is, it's matched with a rooftop PV system typically is the the common renewable energy source for uh, residential dwellings, that that system is sized to meet the annual net demand of that home. Now, what's implicit in a zero energy home uh, is that the homes are designed and built to be highly efficient, to get the energy requirement down as much as practically as possible. And importantly, uh, one aims to try and reduce the peak demand periods in the morning and the late afternoon, evening. So a sensible sized rooftop PV system can meet that load. And then furthermore, through good design, the right size PV system sizing, as well as the move towards the incorporation of electric fixed appliances for things like hot water heating as well as cooking and also uh, heating, uh, you can start to try and time the operation of those fixed appliances with the availability of solar during the day. So that's what constitutes a net zero energy home. The next step to that, of course, is where we have an opportunity to bring storage into the equation. Uh, such as a battery, and whether that battery is at the household scale uh, or on a community scale or a grid scale. The main thing is is the home itself is able to meet its energy requirements and then the inclusion of storage is what enables that home to increase its self-reliance in its own energy. Yeah, it sounds really saleable. Indeed. Um, Just listening to you about it you know somewhere that's somewhere that's comfortable that can manage itself um but these all sound like great things um i imagine the one of the questions for you know for for builders around the place they're they're thinking well it sounds great but is it is it hard to build a zero energy home isn't any more difficult to build than a conventional home the difference being is firstly in the design so if we're looking at doing a net zero energy build Uh, cost-effectively, it starts with the design process. Uh, So, you know, the idea of uh, designing uh, a climate-responsive design, so considering things like orientation, uh, having glazing facing the right way for uh, winter solar gain in the uh, southern climates, uh, appropriate shading for uh, heat exclusion uh, during the summer months, uh, good quality glazing, uh, appropriate insulation, Uh, All of these things, which is largely design and then just good quality building fabric, goes a long way to reducing the heat and cooling loads of a home. And we know that's the major energy expense in a typical new Australian home. Uh, From that point, it's it's also about then looking at what appliances are being used. Uh, And so the idea of going towards an all-electric home, uh, such as induction, uh, cooktops uh, for cooking, Uh, the inclusion of uh, air source heat pumps for hot water heating. Uh, Not only are these very efficient, so they're cost-effective and they demonstrate good return on investment for people who are putting these features into their home, but it also means that you can often time their operation, particularly with the hot water heating, which can be programmed for during the day. You can time that with available solar. Uh, And so, so again, it's not anything necessarily more difficult for the builder. It's just having... Uh, the right approach to design, 
good quality construction to make sure you've got a good airtight, well-sealed home, uh, all the insulation detailing is done properly, all the things that should be done well. Uh, we know in some cases it's not the case, but good builders will already be doing this. Uh, and then finally, it's about pointing clients into the direction of appropriate, highly efficient uh, fixtures and appliances that can complement a zero energy home. Now, you mentioned battery backup before, and just listening to you talk about solar, I, one of the cases, you know, you, you hear it all the time, oh, well, solar's great as long as the sun's shining. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship between the battery systems that are available now and the solar production? The most cost-effective way to utilise solar energy from rooftop PV systems is to try and time your use when the sun's shining. Uh, and that can certainly be done through uh, things like the inclusion of uh, electric hot water systems and ideally air-sourced heat pumps, which are highly efficient, and they can be programmed to heat the water during the day when the sun's shining so you've got that hot water for use uh, at night time. Uh, other things like you know programming dishwashers and washing machines or clothes dryers, other high-energy devices to run during the day increases the amount of utilisation of your own solar generation in real time. Now, that's always going to save you the most money because you're using that energy when it's available and free uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, taking it back from the grid um, outside of production times when you're paying full price. So, for example, you know, here in Perth, that's 28 cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, and any export that you're putting back in during the day when you're not using that solar, it differs again from region to region, but, you know, anywhere from sort of 5 to 10 cents uh, per kilowatt hour here at seven cents in Perth. Um, so it makes a lot of sense to try and use it when it's being generated. The next step is looking at storage uh, and and typically um, battery storage using uh, lithium-ion uh, chemistry-based batteries. And these can be either at the household scale. The Tesla Powerwall is a well-known uh, battery. Uh, there are many others now. Um, I have um, a battery uh, at my home. Um, it's a 10 kilowatt hour uh, LG uh, Chem Resu 10 model, which we've been testing, um, which has greatly enhanced the amount of self-supply solar that we have available. But what we're seeing um, is that the payback period in terms of return on investment of these batteries is is typically just outside their warranty period, the typical warranty period, period being 10 years for batteries. And the payback periods for a typical home tends to be sort of 10 to 12 years. Now, we're seeing um, that change very quickly as batteries become more popular, uh, production volumes increase, and the cost is coming down rapidly. So we expect the payback to be, uh, I guess, a, a viable business case within the next two or three years. And I think at that point, we'll really see batteries take off uh, without necessarily needing subsidies uh, as, a, as a consumer product in, in a bit the same way that we've seen with rooftop PVs. Uh, but at the moment, you know, the focus in terms of cost-effective, um, you know, uh, benefits for for homeowners and therefore makes sense for builders to really be pushing this is to focus on efficiency first. That's the cheapest way to save energy and have a cost-effective home to run. Then looking at solar, but making sure you try and size that solar system up properly, match your loads uh, to when uh, solar is available. And then next step is looking at including storage. So Josh, what's the cost of this type of build? So our research has shown from case studies around Australia that the additional cost to take a stock standard compliance uh, home uh, through to a net zero energy home is in the order of fifteen to twenty thousand uh, dollars. 
uh, and that's the cost that's spent on improving the thermal performance of the house, upgrading some of the appliances uh, such as um, the, the heating and cooling systems to highly efficient uh, systems, uh, to looking at putting in electric heat pump, hot water systems and induction cooking, and then also a suitably sized PV system. So all up around that fifteen to $20,000 mark. Can you recommend any resources for builders on zero energy homes? So there's some great materials that have been produced uh, through our research work with uh, the CRC for low carbon living. Um, the first and perhaps the most accessible is our home uh, research project, which is Josh's House. And people can just go to the Josh's House website, joshshouse.com.au. Uh, and that acts as a repository of information, firstly capturing in great detail um, my home case study. We have all of our plans. Uh, we have fact sheets. Uh, we have a detailed performance data, which is actually uh, published live on our website so people can see how the house is performing from its thermal performance through to its you know, real-time energy and water use, solar generation and battery storage. Uh, but also we have the, the information that has come from uh, several subsequent research activities that followed on from uh, the detailed Josh's House case study. And that includes a series called Star Performers, where uh, we looked at a number of other high-performance homes that were setting out to meet net zero energy status around Australia. Uh, but also the most recent research output has been a project that we've called Mainstreaming Zero Energy Homes. Uh, and this is a project that we did by partnering with large developers and volume builders uh, around Australia. We partnered with four uh, different partners, um, which saw us go through a, a design view exercise uh, and then um, eventually leading into the construction of zero energy display homes, which have then been opened up to the market. So two of those homes are complete, one in Townsville and one down in Melbourne. Uh, and uh, two others uh, are now under construction, one in Perth and one in Canberra. So we have our design review reports, which document in a very detailed way the steps that were taken uh, to look at reviewing the original display home design that was put forward by each of the builders. Uh, and in a collaborative uh, process, we went through and looked at what's a methodical process that we could take to look at um, the simple steps required to take an existing design uh, through to a, a net zero energy home design. Um, and then uh, finally, um, we have uh, a fantastic new resource, again, produced by the CRC for low carbon living, uh, which is a uh, low carbon uh, guide for new residential builds. Uh, and this can be accessed via the CRC's knowledge hub, uh, which is builtbetter.org. Uh, this guide, which has uh, just been published, um, provides um, a great level of detail on design and construction and operation considerations for low energy homes, uh, including uh, the notion of how these homes can fit a zero energy home goal. So Josh, how can people get in touch with you to learn more? If people want to find out more about our work, uh, I would guide them towards our website, joshshouse.com.au. I guess on that note, Josh, I think we're probably out of time. Um, thanks for being on the show and sharing your expertise. It's my great pleasure. Thanks, Max. Coming up next, I speak with Simon Dunstan from SJD Homes about his experience building zero energy homes. But first, a message from our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Master Builders Green Living Program. Clients want sustainable and energy efficient housing more and more. 
get Green Living accredited and work in one of the fastest growing sectors in building and construction. Master Builders Green Living will enable builders to market their services as businesses that are skilled in the design, construction and maintenance of high quality structures that adopt industry best practice for sustainability in the built environment. Um, before we get into the whole thing, um, take us back to what got you thinking about products like high star rated homes and how did you come to build Melbourne's first ever zero energy home in the first place? Well, I guess the first part that I should mention is that, you know, we've been involved or interested in this space and I did a um, one of the first seven-star homes in Victoria probably about eight years ago and I, I felt that I was going to... Um, you know, revolutionise the world and change, save the world and all these wonderful things. And uh, we did a fairly extensive media campaign and um, I sold two houses. Um, so I learned very early on in the piece that the appetite for this um, is, uh, you know, my, my views on it and my perception with it is not necessarily everyone else's. So that was my first double, we'll say. Uh, now, we got approached... Um, last year um, by a developer, Park Lee, that has a subdivision down here um, that said that they were doing this project where there was um, three homes to be built in Australia. One of them is in Townsville. Second one was um, in Canberra and the third one was going to be here in Melbourne. So um, that's how we got introduced to it and uh, that was been um, run by uh, Dr. Josh Burns from Curtin University in WA. And um, what excited us and why we wanted to get more involved in it is Josh, in a previous life, had done work on um, you know, his own house, but then also had shown that there was a, you know, there was builders out there that were doing great products that were, you know, 10-star rated homes. But there wasn't a great amount of take-up and that was certainly the experience that I had felt earlier on too. So um, when they were saying that they were trying to, you know, come up with zero energy homes, that they were trying to do it in a way that is not going to be um, cost-restrictive and there will be greater uptake, uh, that certainly piqued my um, interest and um, and we wanted to uh, get involved and and be a part of it. So that's sort of how the process started and um, how we came to be involved in it. You mentioned the your, your first project. Ha, have you noticed the market change since the, your, your first project, your first seven-star project? Yeah, there's a couple of things that I think are, that the technology hasn't, I won't say gone leaps and bounds ahead. That first house I did, I was... For um, you know, we put a, a one kilowatt system on our roof. Now, for the same money that we spent on that, we can probably now put a five kilowatt system. But I guess the big thing and the big shift is where the appetite is now. Is uh, the media is constantly talking about the affordability of living in a home, and you know, we we quite often see you know sad stories of. Uh, older people that, you know, can't afford to pay their energy bills and the skyrocketing cost of energy. And I guess I see, you know, that's the general shift. And I also see that we're so reliant on fossil fuels, which are, you know, on the decline. And as they become scarcer and scarcer, you can only imagine that the cost of living is just going to go through the roof. 
And I think a lot of other people are starting to come to that belief too. And I think that's where there is a lot more interest in this space. And the exciting part that I see is that the building industry, they actually seem to be in a lot of ways far more progressive than a lot of the governments that we're, um, and the government bodies we're dealing with. So that, that to me is pretty exciting that, um, you know, as I said, the industry is, uh, is getting involved. There's a, there's a lot of good specialist building going on that's really trying to address these things. Now, Simon, can you give me an idea about what's different about a zero energy home? It's twofold. So the first part of it is really improving the house that is being built. So there's a lot of ways of doing that. That is actually the build form itself. So we try to, you know, do what we can in that space. So that is obviously things like, you know, the integrity of the insulation, the insulation itself and the build itself and the various products that we put in there. The other things are also some of the appliances that we're using that, you know, are going to be as efficient as we possibly can. But obviously, unless nobody's living in the house, it's still going to draw energy. Mm-hmm. So the other part of the equation is we need to have or be able to produce our own energy. So in the particular house we did, we had a 5 kilowatt system and we also had a 9.8 kilowatt battery on it. So, um, you know, batteries are one of the new exciting parts because the consumption of power is, you know, it, it when it's producing the power is the middle of the day. However, it's the beginning of the day and the end of the day when the consumption's happening. And that's where the power um, storage is really exciting because you are really able to um, spread that the power that has been generated across the, the full day. You mentioned build quality. What what do you think what do you think the elements of the build quality that are different in relation to a, a zero energy home? The the good part about it is is not a lot to be quite honest. I think that we just we had all of our supervisors because it's something that we want to roll out with all of our homes. Uh, and we sort of had a little bit of coaching on the way through. I, I made the comment there's no point us getting to the end of the exercise and then somebody picking holes in it and saying, well, you should have done this or that. So we actually got coaching on the way through and there was you know, things like uh, at frame stage, we were walking through the, the house and at that stage we were saying, okay, so the, the bottom plate, you know, that should be, we should seal that to the slab. And then obviously pre-plaster, you know, just the integrity and the type of uh, insulation we were using and also the sealing of that insulation. For example, we used a, a different tape than we would u- normally use um, on the wrap of the house that we did just um, so it was um, just stronger and better than what we would have normally used. But there wasn't really a lot. There was only a couple of things that we were, you know, they suggest that we do a little bit different. But if you can imagine the fewer the penetrations in the plaster work, the better. So on the display that we did, we used split system um, rather than uh, ducted heating, and that provided heating and cooling, but it was also fuel penetrations and penetrations that were easier to seal than you would have got maybe with traditional ducted heating. The other part that I probably also should have mentioned, which is obviously pretty important, is the orientation of the house. Now, this to me was a little bit contentious because I was looking at the bigger picture. We were lucky the block that we were doing this on had a great orientation where we could have all the northerly uh, aspects, all the living areas facing north. 
So it was great. You know, it was able and made us get over the seven stars. I think we had 7.2 stars. And having that orientation was great. However, on that point, for the the greater audience or for something that we really needed to look at is that to change that orientation and maybe if the house was flipped and all those living areas were facing south, it certainly would have been a lot harder to achieve the star rating that we did. So I think that that is a consideration, but it is also something that needs to be, we need to be a little bit careful about it because let's say... 25% of the people that buy blocks of land out there are facing the wrong direction. They will have a huge or a far greater financial impost than um, somebody that was lucky enough to have that north-facing orientation. Right. So if I was was just to repeat back to you, the the key elements that I think that, that I just took out of that was firstly, you need to be orientated correctly for your build, Secondly, there might be a few modifications in relation to build quality. And thirdly, we're looking at energy production plus storage. Yeah, and, and probably just the, the um, star rating, like we put induction cooktops in as well, and some of those things that are just not using, and obviously the lighting, that it's just not using as much power as some of the other appliances that were, would be included normally. So was there any particular challenges that you face? Did it take you longer to build? Were there things that you, you felt you needed to, that needed more consideration throughout the process? Not a lot. As I said, that's to me the exciting part of this is I think that to adopt it, um, the first time you do anything is um, it's the unknown and you worry, is it going to be a, a big stretch? And it really wasn't. And, I, and so much so that, you know, all the displays that we've built since we've done this particular home, we're building in a similar fashion. And, it you know, it's just not that hard. Like one of the concerns and issues that we had is that, as I said, we got coaching through that area. And since we've built that home and building other ones, you know, other people have slightly different opinions of, for example, where the insulation should be put and how it should be placed. You know, it would be great as, you know, this space moves forward, a bit of clarity for all builders and all people in this space if the, we, ju- we just had a defined thing. I'll, the example I'll use is um, between the uprights on the external wall, you know, wherever we had a wall coming in at a perpendicular, originally, you know, we wouldn't put, you know, small bits of insulation offcuts in those areas. The experts are saying that's an area that we should do. The benefit of it is questionable. We're just doing it now. But, you know, it's costing a couple of hundred dollars on each house more for our insulators to do that. As I said, I question the the benefit of it. But, again, that's where we'd like some clarification on, on this space moving forward. Interesting. Trades. Did you find that your the sub any sub trades that you were using required more management and were they willing to come to the party? We're very lucky. We've uh, we've been going for eleven or twelve years now. A lot of the trades that we have, we're proud to say, have been with us since day one. And obviously, we've had a lot of growth in that time, and they've grown with us. And we've so we've got a good relationship. So that definitely helps. Obviously, the guys that do the insulation were a big part of it because if you get that wrong, it's probably also one of the hardest things to rectify later on as you can imagine once you have the brickwork and the plaster up 
you want to make sure the integrity of those things are right. So that was probably the the guy that we needed to sit down and spend most time with. And just other guys, we just had to, the plasterers, we just had to get them to do a little bit of extra work. Uh, cavity sliding doors are a great area that you can have a lot of uh, flow of air running through. So we had to get them just to go a little bit further. The chippies, a little bit of work, but they were pretty close to the mark already. So a few trades had to, and and we also just had to said to any of the other trades that were working on site, like the electrician, don't just come in here and move stuff. Don't, in the plumbers, you know, don't move stuff around. It's there for a reason. Don't just pull out insulation and do those things. So we, we spoke to them all, but there was only a handful that we really had to give a little bit of coaching and and as I said, that was a one-off thing. Now they just know what needs to be done and what our expectations are. And it's just business as usual. Absolutely. And uh, as I said, that's the most encouraging part of the whole thing. We're not, you know, we're not rediscovering the wheel and we're not asking a big impost or any, it's not costing us anything more other than the insulation to do these things. It's just a bit of care. You've mentioned two products that I'm interested in asking you about. The first product you were talking about, sliding doors, and I, I'm I'm going to assume that you're purchasing sliding doors as a as as units. Correct. Yeah, with a little pocket or joey, as we like to call them. Do you find they're changing, or, or are you having to do a lot of work to seal them? It's not a lot of work. So the the two areas that you need to look at is that so there's potential. So you just need to make sure you have a timber member across the top, which you should anyway, obviously for structural uh, reasons, but that was just you made, made sure you had to have a timber member across there. But then the plasters, when they came through, they just had to make sure that they had a lot more glue on the boards at those areas just to stop air coming through there. Uh, that was that was it. It wasn't really that hard. They were just making sure that all of those members, oh, sorry, the, the door cavity itself, just had um, plenty of glue on them. Yeah, right. The the other product you mentioned was induction cooktops, and it, it got me thinking. Do you guys pay a lot of attention to the products that are going into the house, like washing machines, cooktops, you know, uh, dishwashers if they exist? Yeah. So the the dishwashers are something that we would install, but washing machines wouldn't be. So again, there's you know you you build the house and it's up to the individual that that puts them on. Now, in this particular display that we did, and and we've got sort of various levels that we can achieve the zero carbon, the display we sort of went right over the top Um, and we put a lot of these things in. In actual fact, we didn't connect to gas on on this particular house, so we had a heat pump, um, a sand and heat pump, which I I would argue were probably the best out on the market there, and as you mentioned, like the, the cooktops. So we didn't use gas at all on the job. Now, is there a reason why, sorry to butt in there, Simon, is there a reason you didn't use gas? So the theory um, is that if we're producing enough power on site with our five kilowatts and we're able to store, as I said, just under 10 kilowatts of power, that gives us the ability to potentially get to a stage where there is, you know, no cost associated. Now, that's going to be up to the individuals once they move in and they're, 
their practices will say. And I've committed to, at the end of using this house as a display, we're going to actually rent it out. And we have got monitoring systems within the house that will actually enable us to have information back to, you know, see what we've done in theory and in the real world, actually how, you know, have we achieved what we set out, which is that zero carbon, you know, cost to uh, the consumer and also uh, the environment. How are consumers reacting to these new display houses you're building? It's interesting. We, we, you know, when we first released this house and we got a, a lot of traction and publicity out of it, great amount of interest. If you put everything that is in that house as displayed, it can again become cost prohibitive. So what we've done is we've still tried to, we have what we call our Z, Z range, um, you know, again, trying to work towards that zero carbon that is going to be not as cost prohibitive. And I think that what we've learned is that if we had all the bells and whistles in, the average person has got more interested in can I have stone bench tops rather than going to the uh, the extent of what we're doing. So by us being able to, I'm going to say water it down, but that's probably not the correct terminology, but do stuff that is more efficient. So give you an example. Rather than doing a uh, the heating system, which had you know, which cost just under ten thousand dollars, we've now moved back to using a five star ducted heating unit. Um, you know that was with gas, and that keeps that price down, and then does make it a lot more effective. We have also made a, a conscious decision that, as in the retail section, that we're putting some of these extras in um, at cost price. We had a great amount of uptake earlier on in the piece, but in more recent times we had a rebate in place there. That rebate is we we sold 30 homes in a very short period of time. That rebate's not on the table anymore and because of that, you know, we can do all these things and we can still keep it under $10,000. Still selling a few, but certainly not as much as I I would like. And I guess I'm definitely trying to talk to government departments and we're trying to get things like the uh, solar rebate Um, we're trying to get that included for builders uh, that we can talk about it at the time of construction and purchase rather than something that is retrofitted so again it just makes that financial leap for our clients nowhere near as much and that obviously is something that would benefit the whole building industry it's not just about us for the other builders listening, do you have any other advice or tips that you would um, suggest? Yeah. Look, uh, guys, I would just say embrace it, be at the front of it and not uh, don't be reactive with this because, you know, our involvement with various government departments and organisations, it is, you know, we've, we've been moving to this, you know, for, for several years, um, well, you know, over a decade really. It is going to be with us. So I think that I would love the industry as a whole to be more proactive than reactive and really be at the table. And I think, as I said, my discussions with builders, they do want to be a part of it. Um, So I would just sort of suggest that it is probably going to be the norm in the very near future. I'm sure with the uh, new uh, national code coming out, there's going to be a lot of this stuff there. So I would highly recommend to the guys that they they start looking into this sooner rather than later 
and it will be a very easy transition for them from their current building practices to, um, you know, getting to a level that we're talking about, you know, zero carbon homes as a standard. So, so for the other builders listening, if they wanted to get a little bit more information, a little bit better understanding, is there any resources that you would recommend? Oh, look, I, I think there's, there's some there's the Clean Energy Council and areas like that, which are really cool for the solar part of it, and it gives you a, there's some great websites there. Will give you a lot of information just to get your head around about solar in particular. But I think that. You really just need to have a conversation with a lot of the suppliers that you're using. I think we, you know, we, we have this thing called the builder's range a lot of the time, which is all price driven. And I think the more that we start asking our suppliers for these types of things, it will actually bring the cost down. Um, you know, if everyone is talking about, you know, five-star ducted heating systems, the old three stars will become a thing of the past because there is no market for it. And then you know, it, it will become more cost-effective for all of us. The other thing is, too, we um, are more than happy to, you know, invite any builder to come and look at our house and have a discussion with us because, you know, part of this journey is we set out on, we we see that we want to make an impact across the board and, me doing it is not going to make an impact. But all of the guys, if we're all doing it, um, we really will. And I think that, as I said, my um, my house would certainly be open and I'm more than happy to have discussions. But there are just a lot of other resources. Uh, Sustainability Victoria has got some information. Uh, the Master Builders Association website, um, there's some great stuff there um, as well. So... Uh, there's other organisations called SECA is one that I didn't know existed. That's actually run by a lot of the local councils where the councils are looking into a lot of these types of things. But the beauty with information these days, um, you, you punch what you need into Google and you'll be able to get some information out of it. Um, I'd suggest when you do that, you know, use your area, whether it be Melbourne or somewhere else, um, when you're doing that, and then you'll be, um, you know, that'll take you right to these points. But, you know, a little bit of time on the internet and you'll be staggered how much information you can get. You'll be an expert in no time. <laughs> Thanks for that, Simon. Um, so if people wanted to get in contact with you or SJD Homes, how could they do that? Yeah, look, I, I, it's just as simple as getting on our website, um, you know, and uh, just talking to us. Um, we're our marketing department. Um, we had a conversation before this. Um, and um, by all means, if anyone is interested in knowing more, jump on our website or just email marketing at sjdhomes.com.au. And as I said, then we can go through it um, together and we can help out ever, wherever we can. As I said, we've got nothing to hide and we would like to share our learning to knowledge with um, the industry as a whole. Awesome. Thank you, Simon, for being on the show and sharing your expertise with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Happy to be a part of it. And, um, yeah, thank you. Cheers. So that was Josh Byrne and Simon Dunstan talking to us about zero energy homes. I have to say, I, I like the idea. Robert, what did you think? Yeah, great topic, uh, Max. So zero energy homes and certainly by listening to that podcast and that interview, 
I learned a little bit more about zero energy homes. Um, but I guess from a builder's point of view, which is really what counts, if we're going to sort of go down that zero energy home where we can actually educate people in relation to what that might look for them, for them where their power bill could potentially be zero, and there's a number of ways to do that. So I was quite enlightened and I that space I guess where we could go and possible houses off the grid in the future um, and I don't think it's that far away so again there's a whole education piece around that as well um, which seems to be a prominent thing that we need to understand and learn about how to use some of these technologies and opportunities. Did you hear something in today's show that you wanted to write down? Don't worry we've taken the notes. You can access the show notes at masterbuilders.com.au Also, please take the time to subscribe and leave a rating. And don't forget to tell your friends, workmates about the podcast, or even bring it up at your next Toolbox Talk. I'm Max Rafferty. Until next time, stay safe.